The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. It's great to great to see you again. That's yeah, thank a, I'm you. looking forward to recording another podcast with you. Just had a good lunch and ready to go. That sounds fantastic. Well, today we're going to be following up on uh, the second part in our in our podcast series yeah. about the cluster model. And so we left off the last podcast saying that we need to really truly own each other's results and be fully vested in our success. Uh, but you know, it's hard in our model to own each other's results because we can't tell each other what to do, right? Yeah, it's. Um... This is a hard one. And again, I'd refer you back to uh, mine and Barry's podcast on the the true uh, field orchestrated model, right? Legally, every operation is its own separate legal entity. Right. That we know that. That's a key part of our model. And and that's true. And that's, that's all very valid. But, you know, the the sort of parable, the example I use all the time, right, of the school teacher. Mm-hmm. So there's a school teacher that that cares about his students, her students, and and trains them and teaches them. But the students don't study. They don't really care. And they fail the exam. <laughs> right. Does that teacher truly own those test results? Some people say no and say, well, that's not fair because... Because they don't get to study for them and they can't take the test for them, so they can't own the test results. An extreme owner, even though maybe they don't have actual ownership of it, an extreme owner is one that's going to say, I wasn't effective as as I could have been. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm I need to take ownership of those test results. And that's how we have to do as cluster partners. We have to have sort of that mentality that I'm a 49 percent owner right. of your operation. I'm not. But I need to I need to act that way. So even though I can't tell you what to do, I need to vigorously debate and push mm-hmm. and try and get you to do the right things, because as an owner. And we learned this in in Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership. As an owner, there's really only one question that I care about. And it's, have I been effective or ineffective as your cluster partner? (laughs) That's a great question, right? I can tell you what to do. I can care a lot about you, all of those things. But if you don't do the right thing, I've failed. I've been been ineffective. Right? So, So do you truly own your cluster partner's results or... Are you just a consultant, and do you even know their operation? So, so maybe this is a bad question, um, but how well should we know each other's operations if we're to be a strong cluster partner? Yeah, so I've done these assessments before, going in with clusters and and kind of seeing some people like, uh oh, you know, this, they feel guilty <laughs> with some of these questions. Okay. And you can translate to your industry however you want. I do this on the sniff side with skilled nursing facilities, and I say, okay, score your cluster on the following statements, or just put always sometimes or rarely or okay. or never right okay. on the so so number 1 we all analyze each other's financials before our cluster meeting and come to the meeting with specific line item and people questions 
right? I mean, this is what Morgan Stanley did with me hmm. every month. Clay, this is what you said you were going to do. This is what actually happened. How are you adjusting? Hmm. And I had to respond to that stewardship. Question number two, we all review each other's key factor data at least weekly. Okay. Do you do that as a cluster? Three, we get together weekly, whether it's a conference call, meeting, lunch, whatever. Is there that weekly connection? We all know each other's big four or big five, you know, the, your key people mm -hmm. well enough to make hiring and firing decisions. Hmm. Like sometimes people yeah. go in. It's a big complaint I've heard is they're telling me to do all these things. They've never even been to my operation. They don't know these people that they're telling me to do these things to. And I think, well, no, we need to know them. That's interesting. So question five, we all ask each other probing questions, not, not just about PPDs, but about people, clinical systems, strategies, uh, employee or, or customer satisfaction or, you know, Department of Health relations. All of these questions, these meetings have to be rigorous mm -hmm. where we're asking all these probing questions. Six, again, always, sometimes, rarely, never, right? Okay. Six, we have cluster goals with expected celebrations. Does your cluster have cluster goals and you know how you're going to celebrate when you achieve them? We all visit each other's facilities each month and give honest advice. We are all open and not defensive to probing questions and suggestions. Mm -hmm. Uh, we all come prepared to cluster meetings with our own financials and support documents. We come with the data. Hmm. We all review each other's clinical outcomes. We all make and keep commitments to each other about our next steps. No, Nobody leaves the meeting thinking... Okay, so what were we doing again? Like, what do we have? Have stewardship agreements, and we'll we'll get into stewardship agreements in another podcast. Um, we all spend each time, or we all spend time each meeting, helping each other develop our cluster and facility cultures. Hmm. We all speak directly and frankly about our observations and opinions of each other. You know how sometimes people leave, and you think. Uh, Ryan's this way, but you don't talk to Ryan. You talk to other people right, about Ryan. Right, no, right. everything that needs to be said is said. Um, our DNS or COO partners come prepared to prevent, present uh, clinical and financial aspects of their responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they're ready. Yeah. And they hold each other accountable for clinical and financial results. Look, here's, I mean, that's a, that's those a great are just, list. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a, a list. list. Yeah. I'll stop there. But, one of the biggest frustrations, and I just I just shared this, um, but but I'm thinking of very specific people that have told me they they're chewing me out and having tough conversations with me, and they're trying to be strong, mm -hmm. but they've never been to my operation and they don't know my people. They're sort of Monday morning quarterbacks, mm, yeah, right? Like do this, do that, do that. Okay, come help me. <laughs> right. So what do, what do functional clusters say about their clusters? Yeah, I um. They see things like uh, just just we have fun together, like hmm. like really functional clusters like being together. Uh, we go through hard things together. I mean, some mm -hmm. some uh, you know th that can mean tough conversations. Some I know have gotten in the habit of they do quarterly, like they do a hard hike together. Okay, okay. they show cool. that they can yeah. do hard things. We serve each other. Um, th those that I think are really successful, that when somebody needs a babysitter, when somebody's moving, mm. when, when these things happen, like they come together as a family, That's very cool. they say things like we learn from one another. Uh, we work on projects and succeed or fail together mm. on those projects. We try new things and experience new places. 
um, successful clusters say we put each other first and and we're happy for each other's good times and we we really get sad in each other's bad times and, and, right and, yeah no and, and and what do you what do you what types of things do you hear really from more dysfunctional clusters um I mean I guess you could just say the opposite of all of those <laughs> but uh no no here are some common ones uh th- this is one that a lot of you guys are gonna you kind of nod your head and say yeah this is a underperformers don't speak up in, in dysfunctional clusters, hmm. underperformers don't speak up because they think, well, who am I yeah. to or best performers get a pass. OK, like, well, you're doing well. And who so am I to gonna, hold yeah. you accountable? So, no, in functional clusters, best performers are held accountable for the things that they're weak on. Underperformers speak up and they say, look, I know that I am uh, need help, too, but I'm seeing this and I can help you. And they speak up. Um, dysfunctional clusters I don't know. You can go and listen to the questions. They're kind of softball questions with very little follow-up or probing, right? Little preparation for meetings. They okay. just sort of show up hoping the meeting will happen. No data, no, yeah. Um, dysfunctional clusters, they don't call each other out to preserve the relationship, hmm. right? They just, I don't want to, I don't have a, so I'm not going to say anything. Uh Dysfunctional clusters, EDs wait to be led instead of leading themselves. Mm. Like, we're victims to our cluster leaders. I always tell uh, people, you're never a victim to your cluster. Your cluster is dysfunctional because you tolerate a dysfunctional <laughs> cluster. I, like I don't that, care yeah. if you've been here for a day. Yeah. You, If you are tolerating this, then your, your dysfunctional cluster is your fault. Mm. In dysfunctional cl- clusters, culture is rarely on the agenda, if there even is an agenda. Yeah. <laughs> and and sometimes if there is culture and it's taught, it's sort of a book report without probing questions and digging into where are we struggling in this? What do we need to fix? You need to be doing assessments with that culture and debating it. And and I, I have to throw in one more uh, clinical partners and resources in dysfunctional clusters. Yeah. They aren't treated as partners. Hmm. They're treated as consultants or they're you chime in when we get to your topics. Interesting. And we don't bring them in as true partners. And and Barry and I talked a little bit about that. That's recently. really interesting. What recommendations then do you give for creating functional clusters if you're if you're in a dysfunctional one? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do you get from that first yeah. list to the second list? Um I guess the first thing, it's just no victims, what I just said. Right. <laughs> if you're, I, I, right. It if doesn't you're matter who it, you are. It, yeah. yeah. Don't I don't like tolerate that. it. Uh, that's the line from uh, Extreme Ownership as a leader. It's not what you preach. It's what you tolerate. Right. It's a great line. Stop tolerating yeah. a dysfunctional cluster. It doesn't matter how long you've been there, right? And then the second thing I'd say, establish cluster guidelines. Hmm. Um. And, and I'd, you know what I mean by cluster yeah, guidelines? Yeah. Be, be careful that you're not describing the perfect cluster. Right. But really be clear, these are the things we won't tolerate. Right, right. Like, if you're going to tolerate people being tardy, which, I don't know, maybe you should, then, then don't put that in the cluster guidelines. If you're going to tolerate people being on their phones, don't put that. But if you're not going to tolerate it, say, we will all put away our phones. <laughs> right. At the beginning of the meeting, or we will have our computers closed or, or whatever, whatever it is, just be clear, you know, are, are, are computers allowed during your meetings? What about phones? Can people step out to make calls? What excuses are allowed for missing a meeting? Yeah. 
Uh, what are your rules of engagement? This is all up to you and your cluster and, and what you tolerate, but live with the results. Right. <laughs> if, if don't complain about, you know, well, I was willing to tolerate this cause that's not realistic to mm-hmm. not tolerate it. But now it's leading to this, you know, these consequences. That's what you, that's you reap happen. what you yeah. sow, yeah. right? Less engagement will lead to less success. But if you tolerate it, um, don't whine about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're saying, no, we can use our computers and we can use our phones, that's fine. You're accepting less engagement. Yeah. And you will get what less engagement brings to you. Um, and I personally, I'm a fan of putting these rules to paper and have people sign it. Because yeah. it becomes so much easier to point to it and say, like, let's say one of your things is we will always um, share our perspective, even if it might hurt someone else's feelings. Now, if I've had to say something tough, I'm pointing to the paper and saying, look, I didn't want to, but I agreed to right here. And you agreed to not be offended. I, you know? Yeah, I really like that idea, both just of clarity and then and putting putting it to paper and yeah, it's it it helps you say, I you know I promise to do this, and so I you know I, I I need to do it even though I don't want to do it, and you know I I feel like if you do this really well, you will create an engaged cluster. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. A lot of the the tips in there that that you've been talking about to remind me just a little bit of a quick story about uh, clusters that Tyler was sharing with me from our annual meeting last year. Mm-hmm. We had a breakout session talking about cluster meetings and he was sitting at a table with some folks right after it. And I won't, I'm not going to name any, uh-huh. <laughs> any names. Uh, but one of the, one of the participants came out and was talking about uh, that they really didn't get anything out of the, the meeting yeah. about clusters. It yeah. uh, wasn't really, you know, learned nothing from yeah. that was a waste of their time. Yeah. And they happened to be sitting with some partners of theirs who uh, recognized that they, their their cluster was struggling pretty, yeah. Yeah. pretty heavily. And so it led to this, yeah, <laughs> it led to this great debate about, well, if you know these things and aren't necessarily like practicing them, um, yeah. it felt like someone who was stuck in, in, a, in a struggling cluster that could have viewed some like you know actual advice that, that you're sharing to to help every one of these it, clusters every one of our clusters has some dysfunction in it and so it's finding what it is and 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 perfecting it even our even our strongest clusters right yeah, this, this is great information what what other advice would you have for clusters that are trying to become more functional uh this this whole concept of transparency be transparent in your meetings and i guess you have to think about what that means be loving be kind be thoughtful, be respectful, but come on, man, be, be real, right? Like be right. transparent. Right. If, if you are having meetings after the meeting, <laughs> then you're, you're dysfunctional, <laughs> right? Right. right? Uh, the, the best clusters I know are really good at saying hard things to each other and then praising each other and shining a lighting on each other behind their backs. Right. Mm. I mean, that was one of the praises that, that was given to my dad in, in, in the Legacy of Leadership video, that he could be tough on you, but boy, behind your back, he built you up. I really feel like we should learn that as clusters. Be really good at saying tough things to each other and then really build them up behind their backs to other people. And, and most of us are the opposite. We're really soft. Yeah, no, it's all good. And then can you believe they're doing that? And, <laughs> right. and we talk behind their right. back. And that's just, right. that's the opposite of transparent. Yeah. 
right? We we think that we build trust when we do that too, right? Like right. if I talk about <laughs> someone else to you, 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 I think I'm building trust with you. See, you're in my group and I'm right, sharing that right. with you. But really you're thinking, what does Clay oh, say when God, I'm not 100%, here? 100%, 100% that's what I'm thinking. Especially when you see me with that person and I'm very kind. I, I can't, I've seen that happen <laughs> yeah. countless times in my life and you're nailed it. That's my yeah. exact thought every time. Is <laughs> Look, trust is yeah. built with transparency. We, we, we learn a false teaching really early on in life that we think we need to choose between being kind mm-hmm. and being honest. Right, right. But clarity is kind even right. when it's painful, <laughs> right. right? When we're, when we're being transparent with love, mm-hmm. trust gets built and performance improves. And, and I guess just ask yourself, th- th- this is the question I want the listeners to, to really ask themselves. What needs to be discussed in your cluster that isn't being discussed? Hmm. You all have something. Yeah. I, I, I really just, again, like that, love that concept of being tough with each other and then praising behind their back. I, yeah. The stories. I need to be better hearing, at that, for hearing, sure. Hearing about like how, you, how your dad did do that was just um, yeah, just really, really interesting. You can see the impact that it's going to have on, on people. Like, again, to reverse what you had just said to me, if you were to come talking to me about someone <laughs> and just yeah. highlighting and praising them, <laughs> and that's what I saw, that would build trust instead of erode yeah. it. Uh, so I, I think that goes right along with holding each other accountable for their for their stewardship agreements right yeah uh, and again think of what a steward stewardship agreement if, you, if you're trying to figure out what that is it's green and clean mm-hmm. it's hey right you agree right. to have a green and clean lawn following these principles you're not allowed to paint it <laughs> right. you know exactly you can do it however you want but there's certain principles and standards but just hold each other accountable stop stop shying away stop excusing mm-hmm. each other Again, Morgan Stanley, it's it's just I I learned this outside this organization with them just going line by line. If I missed something, they would ask me where I was going to make it up. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, we did. We turned an $8 million loss in an operation to a $4 million gain in one year. Wow. The year before we acquired it, it lost $8 million. In our first year, we made $4.2 million. And I really credit that accountability and that line by line um, dog on a bone, you know, uh, <laughs> right. That's awesome. accountability they right. had with me. And, and I'd say, look, I, I'd say, listen to this. Cause, cause I don't see enough people doing this. I, I kind of want to say, I see very few people doing this, but, but if we can learn to make a commitment to each other line by line mm-hmm. on an income statement, we had this conversation in Kansas a while back. And mm-hmm. I said, what is your commitment? Stop saying it's to do better. Mm-hmm. It's where will you be line by line, every revenue line, every expense line, where will you be by when? And and this stewardship agreement, right? It's it's a, a monthly reconciliation where we are from where you said you would be or a weekly reconciliation or and how you're going to get back on track. Be clear. Yeah. And let's throw this in here, too. Accountability isn't just for when things go wrong. Right. We need to hold each other accountable when things go right. The best clusters are really good. I I think even you know, I see things happening at, at PMD Mobile X-ray mm-hmm. where they're achieving some goals really for the first time and they're going and they're they're going to you know, NBA basketball games and and uh, playoff games and they're celebrating together awesome. and because they hit certain goals and and I see some that go water skiing or or whatever together. But set cluster goals, hold each other accountable, and celebrate when you hit them. Hmm. And that becomes sort of a flywheel that okay, what's our next goal? Now we want to achieve it. We get we get excited to achieve it, and and it becomes you know you you 
it becomes that flywheel that starts spinning. So yeah, it really is really is fun to hear stories about clusters having that type of success and, and making re- rewards such a fun part of celebrating yeah. success that they do with each other. Um, that, and some are just yeah. really good at that, yeah. right? And if yeah. if if you as an ED uh, or you as EDs are the only ones living the cluster model, I have to say, like if if your DON, most DONs know what the cluster model is, mm-hmm. do your dietary supervisors. Hmm. Um, do do your do your case managers do they do they know they're a part of a cluster? If you're the only one living it and it dies with you, you're failing as an ED. All of these others train them in the cluster model, teach them to meet and how to live these principles that we've talked about. Activities directors, DORs, they should all be a part of a cluster. Assign them to listen to these podcasts so they understand what the cluster is and what it means. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned the different departments and yeah. groups should and can fully take advantage of the cluster model. I, I know at the service center, we've got a few different groups doing some. We've yeah. got some in IT that, that live by it and have really strengthened what and how they operate by by using it. Um Look, as, as we conclude, I've, I've heard you talk before about something that I think happened in the early 2000s, the Chilean miner rescue and the analogy that you came up with um, really regarding the clusters. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was I, like, I do. It's, it was, it's, there was a movie, right? There was. The, the 33? Yeah, the 33. That sounds right. Is that right. what it's yeah, called? Right. I'm not sure. I'm not but sure I, which one. There's a couple movies about some brutal miner I look. I'm I have claustrophobia. So this is just like <laughs> uh, this. Good story for oh, you. this this just like I I did see the movie and it, and it just. But think of the feelings involved okay. here. The entire world was captivated by these these right. 33 you know Chilean <sighs> miners. Uh, I, I think back to some headlines that I saw. One just in in big letters, rescue, or in Spanish, rescate. You know, and it was just, and and then another one that said sixty nine days, thirty three miners, one chance. So you know, it takes sixty nine days. I just right. ruined. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's your that that's as <laughs> they're as they're still, coming out. Yeah. Oh. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that. <laughs> But but that that one article that said sixty nine days right. thirty three miners yeah. one chance it had every picture individually posted underneath it like you saw the picture wow. of every miner wow um, so but this was many many a couple decades ago so let me let me kind of review it okay. so August fifth miners are in a small gold and copper mine in Chile about a half a mile below the Earth's surface, which I start to get <laughs> uneasy already. And a day after the collapse of the mine, the rescuers went to work, beginning okay. to try to descend through the ventilation shafts to, to get to the miners. But the mine continued to collapse Oof. on top of them, so they needed another strategy. If you Oof. watch the movie, it shows drawings, and you can see things to, to really picture this. They began drilling boreholes trying to just connect to the miners to Mm -hmm. find out, you know, are they alive? And it was a few weeks until they reached the level of the mine where the miners were believed to be. But the drills didn't hit the shelter. So they didn't (sighs) encounter any signs of the miners or any signs of life. But they continued to drill (sighs) like they they needed to push for this. Mm -hmm. August 22nd. So now this is August 5th is when it happened. Now it's August 22nd. They hear someone tapping at the bottom of the drill at a depth of 2,260 feet. <laughs> I Almost visibly saw you cringe there. Yeah. 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 I just, oh, you know, yeah. oxygen, low food, low. So they pulled the drill back and there was a note stuck to the drill. I don't know if it was like a post-it note or I don't know how it stayed on. It says this. It says, we are fine in the shelter. 
the 33 of us. Yeah, oh my gosh. All 33 are alive. Can't imagine the reaction to people on the... On Spouses, the, uh, kids, just <laughs> the, the whole country galvanizes around this, this challenge. They were able to get food and water and medicine lowered down to the miners. They had 48 hours of rations to keep them alive. They had now been there for 18 days when this food and water and other essentials wow. arrived there. Wow. So I don't, I don't know what they had before to sustain their lives. I'm you know, little, their lunch pail little, or something, yeah. wow. but um, it, it took just an hour to drop these things down to the, these men. They were all men who were trapped below the Earth's surface. So the president of Chile comes out. As soon as they discover, we will not rest until all 33 are saved. We will that that call to arms, this right, live right. grenade, this, you know, all these things. So on September 14th, remember, it happened August 5th. Now we're September 14th. The wife of one of them gave birth to a baby girl. They were able to drop down a video link to him on a television screen, and he was allowed to watch. <laughs> and they, they named the, I don't know if you speak Spanish, they named the baby girl Esperanza. You know what that means? I don't. Hope. Uh, that's awesome. They named their baby <laughs> girl Hope because cool. dad is trapped down in that mine. Now cool. it's October 9th, 66 days following the collapse of the mine. Ugh. They were able to reach the mine with the rescue capsules that they were lowering down. And, and you know, just, again, the pride and the, the why and the, they, they were painted in the colors of the Chilean flag, these rescue capsules, mm -hmm. uh, 22 inches wide. Again, my claustrophobia kicking in. <laughs> it it contained tanks of air. It had a microphone for communications and equipment to monitor the miners' heart rate because as they're being brought up from the darkness and the heat, it's going to be a difficult thing for them to transition back. So they're just monitoring everything. <laughs> And these things that go down, That's right? That's just crazy. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it'd be crazy. And then on October 12th, now we're at day, 69 days later, the rescue begins and it takes two days to get everyone out. All 33 miners were rescued. Wow. That's impressive. That's That's an awesome story. So go see the movie. I'm going to go right. see the movie. All right. So now your question, what does it have to do with clusters? Okay. That's a great story. That, <laughs> that was a guy. I was like totally raptured. So there was a, one guy that was in charge of the rescue okay. named Manuel Gonzalez. Okay. And he was referred to as the rescue expert. I like that title. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's a good title. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, I want to be a, a, have a job title Clayton. one day. You're going to be the rescue, rescue expert. expert. And a good cluster partner is a rescue expert. Hmm. So so this is what Manuel teaches us about being a rescue expert. And ask yourself, you know, do I fit this mold as a resource or as a cluster partner? Okay. Number one, he said there was a feeling of responsibility, a desire to act and to work until the rescue was completed. They thought of each miner as a real person who was suffering. He also said every miner was a miracle. Each one of the miners had a name, a personal story, a past, and a future that they were looking forward to. Every miner had loved ones counting on them. Mm. When you have a cluster mm. partner that's failing and they're trying to keep their job, yeah. they have kids, they have family members, they have people that rely on them. Yeah. Those The people in that facility have jobs. They have people... Are you... Are you engaged in their cause yeah. like these miners were or, or like the rescue experts were for these miners? Like, we are not going to stop till every one of them is rescued. Or are you saying, hey, let us know if you need help. Gosh, it seems tough over there. Hmm. Let us know if you need us. No, they were all completely involved and vested and each person they loved. Yeah. And because they loved them, they were willing to walk through walls for them. Number two, he said many people came to together to work on this great cause. All made an important contribution. No one contribution was a small one. Hmm. 
Look, I've been in a situation where I was so overwhelmed by my failures in an operation where it took some of my cluster partners to start orchestrating field resources for me. Hmm. Hey, we need you to help over here. Clay's going to need this. And, and it helped me because I was, I was crumbling a little bit under the pressure yeah. of the failure. Yeah. And bring everyone in and to be involved in this, right? Number three, the miners played an important role in their own rescue. They had to be involved in the task of saving themselves, right? So this isn't about swooping in and going and doing a bunch of work for the cluster partners. This is about helping the cluster partners succeed. Does that difference kind of make sense? Yeah, no, right? it does. It really does. And then, and then the fourth thing that he said is the rescuers were lowered. They all needed rescue training, triage expertise, and other skills to help the miners out. But the first man down was a fellow miner. Hmm. Why? <laughs> That's cool. Empathy. Hmm. He had to explain how equipment worked. He, he had been through it himself. And he needed to explain things in terms that they understood. That's what makes it hard sometimes for, for you know, resources and others that, that haven't had a chance to mm. operate facilities. That empathy is so key as we're trying to, to help those people. That makes a ton of sense. And really, you know, we're going to be wrapping up the, the podcasts on, on clusters. And I thought that was a great, great story with some great analogies um, to help finish it on. So really, we need to help focus on shoring up on our cluster model. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad it's going to be a great topic at the annual meeting that we're going to dive into. And Yeah, I'm excited to exciting. focus on. I mean, there's there's going to be no shortage of breakouts and, and speeches and, and discussions that make sure we really understand all aspects of what, what the perfect cluster looks like and what we need to do to fix it. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your time again today, Clayton. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Bye.